I don't play the piano well. I don't. Um, I started taking lessons when I was 18 years old, and I took lessons for two years. And I got to tell you that when you learn anything as an adult, it's just harder. I know some of you that are teenagers, you're like, no kidding, like mom and dad can't even work their phone. And I think, what, did you grow up in the Stone Ages? Hey, the Stone Ages were great. When we finally got stone, you should remember the time before the Stone Ages. I mean, you know, we were hoping for fire, okay? But it's, uh, it's just a reality, okay? But I only, I only did piano for two years, and then I quit. I just I threw in the towel because it was too hard, and, wah, you know, and so I quit, I quit playing piano. I gave up after two years. While I cannot play the piano, I can play the saxophone. Yes. Oh, the weddings I could do if, if, only, if only the saxophone was in this decade, okay? Kenny G kind of ruined it for all of us. He really did. Because um, that's so 80s. Um, but and thank, thankfully, it was Mr. Sills in seventh grade with his stupid little practice charts that you had to fill out to get your A. So beginning in seventh grade, I started, I was practicing 30, 40 minutes a day every day. And I did that for about 14 years. And so, uh, not to toot my own horn, <laughs> but I can play pretty well. I can play pretty well. In fact, when I, I was t- swapping stories with the guys at the metronomes, and I could tell they were salivating, they wanted me in their saxophone section. And I said, well, when all my kids are grown and gone, I will come. <laughs> if you all are still living. <laughs> okay. Well, it's just... I, and so, but it's, in our culture, we have an expression for this. It's called the law of input and output. You only get out of something what you put into it. Yeah, and, it, and it's true across the board. It's true in school. If you're a sixth grader and you study and you work hard and you, you know, jump through the hoops and do what the teachers want and all that stuff, when you become a 12th grader and you're graduating, they give you cash prizes, scholarships, awards, little pieces of paper that you put in a box and never look at again. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that happens. And then you're better off than some of your high school friends who just partied and didn't show up to class half the time. It's true in relationships. As a friend, if you gossip about your friends and you're, and you're the glass half empty negative and you're negative with them and negative about them and you're always talking to your other friends about how your other friends are so bad, eventually those friends disappear. It's just, you know, input, output. Um, money. The guy at age 21 who uh, saves and invests 10% of his income and does that all the way to age 65, do you know what happens every time? He retires a multimillionaire. I mean, it's just, you know, input, output. It's kind of the way it works. And we have another expression for it. it you reap what you sow. Yeah, you've heard about this. So much of my life and so much of your life is about sowing and reaping. But there are a lot of things in our lives that take a very long time to reap a harvest. There are a lot of things in your life and my life that take a very long time long, long time to reach a harvest. Um, Just for the things we talked about, the sixth grader to 12th grade, that's six years. Sowing and reaping in a relationship can sometimes take decades. And forget about the guy, I mean, saving money and investing money, how long is that from age 20 to 65? 45 years. That's a long time. 
There are a lot of things that we sow in life that take a very long time to produce a harvest, which is why it's often so tempting to quit and throw in the towel. And that's what I want to talk to you today uh, about today is quitting and throwing in the towel and a weariness that can set in. And if you brought a Bible, I want you to open it to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 6, and that's where we're going to be today, Galatians chapter 6. This is a letter that Paul wrote to some churches that he had started in what is modern-day Turkey. And uh, he was uh, persecuted. He was stoned. I mean, it was hard work starting these churches. And after he left, a group of Jewish Christians came into leadership in, among these churches, and they started uh, saying something that contradicted Paul. They started saying, first off, you know that Paul guy? He's not, real, he's not a real apostle. Seriously, there were 12, wasn't one of the 12. And furthermore, he got wrong that whole message about good news. Okay, yes, it is good news, but it's not the good news you thought it was. See, he told you the good news was you could be in with God now. Well, that's only partly true. See, in the past, you were just out, you Gentiles. But now, here's the good news. If you accept Jesus and agree to be circumcised and follow all the Old Testament food rules and the law of Moses you can be in. Isn't that great? That's awesome news. I mean, before you were just out of luck. Now, if you do these things, whoo, you're in. Isn't this great? And it created all kinds of problems in these churches. And so that's the context in which Paul is writing this letter. Uh, and he's, he's having to go after one controversy and one wrong idea after another in these churches. And he gets to chapter 6, verse 7, and he says some things that I think are very important. Chapter 6, verse 7, don't be misled. Remember that you can't ignore God and get away with it. You will always reap what you sow. Don't be misled. Remember, you can't ignore God and get away with it. You will always reap what you sow. Here's the thing about sowing and reaping and the very long time between the two. Sometimes we don't see the immediate consequences that we should see. For example... You have a boss who lies and cheats and lies and cheats, and they get promoted. Your neighbor has a wife who travels a lot because of her job, and when she's gone, you see the car. You see the woman come in. You know she's there all night, and she leaves. You know exactly what your neighbor's doing. He does this month after month, year after year. And in fact, he does it successfully for 30 years until he has a heart attack and dies, and he, she never finds out. Okay, sometimes there are, there's people sow to the flesh, what Paul would call they're sowing to the flesh, misery into their life, and you look into their life, and you look, and you wait, and there's no explosion. And it's those kinds of things, along with this long period of time, that would be, it's enough to cause Christians to go, well, forget this whole Christianity thing, forget this whole God thing, I mean... He got away with it. She got away with it. There wasn't any, you know, no pain and misery that I could see. You might be tempted to throw in the towel and quit. And Paul understood 2,000 years ago that sometimes, sometimes you don't see the reaping thing in this life, which is why he says, don't be misled. See, you might be tempted to think that sowing and reaping isn't true. No, 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 it's true. All right, and then he goes on, and that's the next verse. Uh, verse 8, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful desires will harvest the consequences of decay and death 
but those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. And he makes this contrast, living and sowing things unto the flesh, living, sowing things unto the Spirit. And the difference between the two is spelled out in chapter 5. The flesh is stuff like envy, pride, jealousy, lust. Uh, Circumcising yourself is a way to get right with God. I mean, it's all in there, stuff according to the flesh. And then there's the stuff of the Spirit, which is the fruit of the Spirit, patience, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control. And, and what he's saying in this verse is he's saying, look, hey, ultimately, God is judge. God is judge. And while works don't save us, they reveal what's on the inside. And if you live a life according to the flesh, it will result in death. If you live a life according to the Spirit, you will reap a harvest. It may not seem like it. There may be times when you're tempted to quit, but I'm telling you, you will reap a harvest. See, someday we're all going to stand before God as judge. And while the basis of our acceptance is what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf, as God is assessing and scanning our life, he's going to look to uh, evidence of flesh and spirit. Um, And the kicker is what he says next. And this is what I really want to focus on. Verse 9. He says this, So don't get tired of doing what is good. Isn't that interesting? Don't get tired of doing what is good. Don't get discouraged and give up, for we will reap a harvest of blessing at the appropriate time. He repeats himself. I mean, he says it two times. Don't grow weary. Don't give up. Remember the context of this letter, the churches that he started? He sacrificed a lot to get those churches off the ground. I mean, he had the marks on his body. They beat him. Threw him one of the towns, they threw him out, left him for dead. And now, after however many months or years, the church, these churches are torn by dissension, arguing, bitterness, anger. I'm right. No, you're wrong. You're going to hell. No, you're going to hell first. And he's watching this from a distance and hearing the reports. All that sacrifice, all that hard work. You think maybe Paul was preaching to himself maybe in this passage? Don't, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't give up. Maybe Paul was feeling the urge to throw in the towel. See, it's possible, if anything, what we see in this passage, it's possible to lose heart. It's possible to lose heart because of this long delay between sowing and reaping. Um, and he finishes out his advice with chapter t- or verse 10. He says this, Whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to our Christian brothers and sisters. And, and the whenever here really isn't, uh, well, you know, no, no, what he's saying is, look, you have an opportunity to do good. And when you have an opportunity in front of you, you ought to look at it as God putting it in front of your path and just do good, do something about it, but especially for the people in the family of faith. And again, remember the context. The family of faith is full of these Judaizers, people who are making these claims. They're backbiting, they're fighting, they're making accusations. There's division. And in that context, he says, hey, no, 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 no. Do good, especially to the family of faith. Well, it's this weariness thing that I want to settle on for a moment because... Uh, If we learn anything from this passage, we learn that it's normal to get discouraged. And according to Paul, though, it's not okay to stay discouraged. Um, 
So if you've ever gotten to a point in your Christian walk where you've thought, you know, this Christian life stuff isn't working, this Christianity thing isn't working, um, uh, where you've thought, you know what, why do I keep trying? I want to talk to that for a moment. First of all, I, I would encourage you, and here's the practical advice part, if, when you get to those moments of discouragement, I want you to, t- to stop and assess. One, uh, one be honest. A lot of what goes on in Christianity these days, um, we're dishonest with ourselves. We're, we're, we are a little discouraged or we're, you know, there's a part of us that wants to throw in the towel and then we do the prayer meeting thing and we pray with fake zeal for the missionaries you know, in Uzbekistan. or Oh God, you know, pour out your spirit. And it's all fakey stuff. Just eliminate the fakey stuff. Really, God sees the heart anyway, so you're not fooling God. And if you're not fooling God, pff, why bother fooling anyone else? I mean, really, what's the point? <laughs> and so be honest. And if there's discouragement, be honest with yourself. Be honest with God when you're talking to him. He's a big boy. He can take it, all right? So one, be honest. Um, but then secondly, root out and find the source of discouragement. That's going to be a key thing. And I, and I want to suggest several ways, several common sources for getting discouraged in the Christian faith. All right? One is a simple one, but it happens all the time. Pastors are per- particularly guilty of this. Violating the Sabbath. Part of the reality about being human means that you and I have limitations. We, we can't do it all. We can't have it all. We can't be it all. It's just not possible. We're finite. And every time that we violate the Sabbath, we're in essence saying to God, you know what, I am Superman or Wonder Woman, you know, whatever it is, okay, I can do it all. And God doesn't like to hear that, one, because it just bucks how he made everything. It's not true, okay? So violating the Sabbath is a really great way to put yourself in a point where you're tired and you're discouraged and you're wanting to throw in the towel. Sometimes what the doctor would order is just some rest, okay? So there's one common source. Another common source is reducing our relationship with God to legalism. Reducing our relationship to God with legalism. In other words, we make our relationship with God stuff we do. I go to church. I pray. I do my devotions. I read my Bible. And and it's all do stuff. It's a list. Where in the Bible or in the New Testament did Jesus say, I came to give you a list that you might check it all off. (laughs) Where is that? What gospel is that? Come on, is that in Hezekiah? Y'all holding out on me. Okay, no, it's not in there. There is no, Jesus did not come to bring us a list. He never said, I came that you might have rules and might enforce them with abundance. No, it's not in the New Testament. What did he say he came to bring? Life. And Year after year, century after century, we do what the Jews did. We turn this life thing into religion. We make it a set of rules and lists and stuff to do. And then we get discouraged and frustrated because there's no life in it. Well, duh, he didn't come to bring lists and rules and laws and all that other stuff because it brings death as it always brings. Paul talks about this in Galatians. One good question that you might want to pose to yourself is, what makes me come alive? (gasps) I know, I'm I'm not preaching New Age stuff here. Bear with me. A few years ago, actually quite a few years ago, I had a friend push me and push me. His name's Stuart, and he pushed me to start getting away 
uh, hiking and kayaking because he, he read me accurately. He knew I'm one of these people. I'm a, I'm a thinker. I'm a contemplator. I'm an introvert, and I love nature. And, and no matter how hard I try to go to a rock concert with Third Day, I don't experience God the way I do out on a trail or out on the water. No matter who, uh, what the band is, no matter what volume it's set to, I'm just not going to get on the mountaintop doing that because that's not how God hardwired me. Now, maybe God hardwired you that way. I don't know. And so Stuart pushed and pushed, and the reason that I'll go out on my boat is primarily so that I can encounter God. I mean, I hear him literally a half an hour down the road. All of a sudden, it's like my mind and my heart is free, and it's like, you know, sometimes I have to get out the notebook and stop and write what I feel like he's telling me because I journal now because that, that, uh, that helps me keep track of what God's saying to me, and it's a faith builder for me to go back and go, oh, that's right, he did say that. That's right, I'm going, you know, okay, so you, have to, you might want to ask yourself, what makes me come alive? And, and I would throw this caveat. In America, we've done ourselves a disservice, I really think. In America, we, we've kind of reduced Christianity and this God stuff to this experience that we do on the weekends. And so, you know, we may have dyno, dynamo preachers and rock bands and everything else, and then by, by Monday at 10 o'clock, it's kind of worn off. And, and again, it's not the experience thing. It's the relationship abundant life thing. Um, and there is a difference so uh, what makes you come alive? And that might be a good path to start walking down to figure out how God's going to talk to you and how you're going to hear him because he hardwired each of us differently. Um, I'm floored at how different my wife and I are. I mean, you know, Jenny hears and experiences God in conversation. It's, you know, boom, boom. It's like rockets going off. And, and, I, and I, it's totally foreign to me. I'm like, no, God, God doesn't work that way. Well, of course he does. <laughs> See, you got it okay? So... Uh, reducing our relationship to God to legalism is a great way to get discouraged. The, the, another source uh, of discouragement is simply time. Uh, you know, think about it. For a lot of us, you know, we gave our hearts over to God and there was that initial oh, wonder, you know, shock and awe and everything else of the Holy Spirit. Uh, time is the worst enemy of enthusiasm. Millionaires get tired of their money, kids get tired of their toys, and Christians get tired of doing what is good. It just happens, time. Uh, time is that way. Um, there is a good antidote to that, and it really is a simple decision, and it may sound cheesy, but it actually works. And it was an older, wiser pastor who told me this. Um, uh, pastor Charles, who's been a mentor of mine on and off throughout the years, uh, he, he started a church, I don't know, a gazillion years ago, and it started like 10 or 12 other churches, and they've got granddaughter churches. So you add it all up, it's like 10,000 plus people that are you know, doing kingdom stuff because he made a decision to be obedient however many gazillion years ago. And he surprised me one day when we were having lunch because you know, this was early on in generations, and early on in generations, about every other week, you know, I'm going to quit. I'm just going to quit because you know, church planning is hard. And you can get discouraged. So, I'm, you know, I quit, I quit, I'm just going to quit. And, and, and he shocked me because he was like, yeah, I did that on and off for about the first, you know, five years of the church. I had to pick my job off the floor. <gasps> you, Moses? You, you know, because <laughs> it seems that way to me. You wanted to Oh, yeah. He said, you know, the best thing I ever did? I'm like, what? I just decided one day I was done quitting. I quit quitting. What do you mean you quit quitting? No, I just quit quitting. I made a decision. I'm not going to quit. It's not an option. I'm not going to quit. He said, it just it, it got better after that. And so 
as cheesy as this sounds, you know, one good antidote for discouragement when it comes to the Christian faith, when it comes to this thing where you and I can face this weariness, make a decision. I'm going to quit quitting. I'm not going to quit on God. It's not going to happen. Um, here's why this is important. Uh, the time between sowing and reaping is actually a lot shorter than you think it is. And, and we tend to think of, you know, our lives as dragging on and, you know, these issues that don't get resolved and all this other stuff. And, and really, uh, the older I get, the, the more freaked out I'm at, at the, how time just accelerates. It does. It gets faster. And then I'll say to something to Jenny, and then I'll realize that was five years ago. What do you mean? For, I thought that was three months ago. No, it was five years ago. <gasps> you know, I should go see the heart doctor now. You know, it's, and so... Really, that, that time is shorter than you think. It really is shorter than you think. And, and I know pastors that I went, you know, I went to school with these guys, and they're not in ministry anymore. They quit. And I really do believe that when we get to the other side, when we get to that day, they're going to have a bigger bucket of regret in the sense of, man, why didn't I just quit quitting? You know, it really wasn't 40 years, what really as long as I thought it would be. Okay? Um, I'm convinced that most of the people uh, that I've shepherded in life, when we get to that day on the other side, most of them are going to say things to me that are versions of, Max, why didn't you kick me in the butt? You know, why? <laughs> it's not going to be stuff like, well, you know, you preach the word too, you know, hard or anything like that. It's going to be the opposite. It's going to be, you know, why, get, help me get in line. And I get that way myself, okay? So really what we're talking about is the old Calvinist doctrine of perseverance, He called it the perseverance of the saints. And what Paul is saying in this passage is, it's okay to get discouraged. It really is. It happens. Don't stay discouraged. Because if you stay there, if you stay discouraged, if you don't assess where you are, if you're not honest, if you don't make this decision, you'll end up throwing in the towel. And ultimately, you'll regret it. Because you know what? If you sow according to the Spirit, you will reap a harvest. It's a promise right here in Galatians. 